Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books, the podcast which looks at the stories behind the food from our favourite A-lister food writers through their four food moments. I'm Julie Smith and I'm linking the thinking about what we eat and who we are to create a deeper connection with food. This week I'm with Kim Duke, co-founder of Life Kitchen, the cookery classes and the book for people living with cancer, which are all about working with super flavour to learn to taste again when in chemo. We teach people about how to use umami to get more flavour and punch into food. We teach about how to stimulate the trigeminal nerve, which is um, a scary big word, but it's just basically the nerve on your face, which um, helps you to chew and eat and, and helps the olfactory system. And you can stimulate it with flavours like mint and wasabi and horseradish. And we teach people how to do that to get more sensory excitement in their food. Her own debut cookbook, Weekly Provisions, comes three years after this collaboration with her best mate, Ryan Riley, and hot on the heels of COVID, which also ripped the pleasure of taste from so many of its victims. The result is an extraordinary book which hits us over the head with flavour as Kim remixes her original dishes with a chutzpah that characterises the story of this pair of Newcastle's have-a-go cooks. She told me how she and Ryan first began to hatch their plan to take over the world. Me and Ryan have been friends since we were, like, literally two years old. We used to live across the park from each other. After I lost my mum to cancer, um, Ryan moved in with me when we were both 15, um, and we lived in a hostel together, which was a really hysterical time. <laughs> um, and he got a job at McDonald's to help us pay the rent, which is great fun, a great start on the food journey. Um, and then, you know, lots of time passed, lots of things happened. And he, after his mum passed, he won um, £28,000 at the casino one night um, when he was you know, drinking away his feelings and <laughs> such things. Um, and we moved to London together and we really just started on this crazy journey of food and, um, you know, we worked in the publishing industry for a while for a really small magazine um, and it was such an adventure. And then we eventually started a street food brand at Camden where we um, we made really really bad food because we had no idea what we were doing at the time um it was it's very embarrassing now to look back on the photos of the things that we were serving up and we thought they were like the height of sophistication um and then after a while um we decided that we didn't know anything so I decided that I was going to go to university to learn how to be a chef um and at the same time somehow managed to blag myself into a, a head chef job um where luckily I got a lot of training from the head chef who was leaving. Um, and I got a, a message from Ryan one day and it said, um, I've had this idea, should we start doing, um, or should we do a cookery class for people who are going through taste changes? And at the time we kind of had no idea what that entailed or what that meant. Um, but Ryan had heard about this guy called Professor Barry Smith on a podcast um, and decided to send him an email and ask him for his help. We were very bold back then. We'd just email anyone and expect that they would reply. It was ridiculous, really. Um, and then he really helped us, and we went to him with some recipes that we'd written, and he said, somehow you've happened upon some things that will really work here to build flavour in. So those were things like umami, um, mint to stimulate the trigeminal nerve, um, lots of powerful smells, and um, we kind of started from there. We did our first class at River Cottage, which was amazing. And then it just kind of snowballed and we got all of these amazing opportunities to um, to work with amazing people and we've just spent the last sort of 
three years just learning really intensely about food and about the science of flavour and um, how to run a business as well. It It is the most extraordinary story. And Ryan does tell this story on one of the very first episodes of Cooking the Books uh, way back last year. Uh, It's a story of chutzpah. It's a story of blag and 20s energy, just saying, I want to do this, so I will. Um, That story of the, the, is it, was it a gyozo stall? at Camden. Yeah, so that's how the whole thing came about. Our whole food career is down to gyozas, so thank you to those. We um one day I was I was cooking in our Brixton flat and um so every day I'd try a new way to make them. I'd make uh, apple pie gyozas and just really non-traditional, like really, you know, <laughs> non-authentic <laughs> versions. Um and then all good things start with when we were drunk. We were drunk one night and we decided that we were going to email Camden Market and um, ask them for a spot at a stall. And somehow they said, yeah, sure, let's do it. <laughs> um, so we did. And and that's kind of how it, how it all started. And also, you know, how Gaios changed my life. <laughs> it is an extraordinary story. It's also your first food moment. Um, luckily, the Gaios actually did grow up and grow into something uh, away from the hideous versions that you were making at Camden Market. Let's be honest, you did try a Sunday lunch gyoza. Uh, uh, your first food moment, however, is the prawn and scallop dumplings. Tell us about that. Yeah, so they've they're really a, a labor of love that recipe it's been years in the making of trying to make a good recipe um like you say our first attempts we made oh my god i'm embarrassed to say we made like a fish and chip gyoza <laughs> back in the day really embarrassing um but we thought it was amazing obviously um but these ones are um you know the product of a lot of recipe development and a lot of trial and error and a lot of eating. I just, I love eating dumplings and gyoza and, and you know, dim sum type foods. Um, all of those things I just adore. Can I just say that, that obviously I read a lot of cookbooks and this one is, is quite extraordinary and I just want to read the blurb. Weekly Provisions is packed with recipes for 12 complete menus, each with a starter, main, side dish and dessert, followed by more than 65 creative ideas for turning what's left into new meals and snacks during the week. Whip up a delicious breakfast using leftovers from your cherry and almond cake to make mascarpone and cherry French toast with a glass of cherry iced tea. Then magic the remains of a roast chicken on a Sunday into a chicken and ginger broth with noodles and spring onions for a weeknight dinner. It is like alchemy. It's about taking one idea and turning it into something else, which we're perfectly used to. <laughs> to you're pitching it very much to the time poor and the people who don't know how to cook as a as a chef we always have to try and um when you're working in a, a professional kitchen you have to use whatever you have to make you know whatever you can and obviously try and make it a profitable business for whoever you're working for or, or for yourself um so that kind of really helped me to um, get in the mindset of, OK, I have a little bit of this left over. What can I do with it that's going to make it exciting, that's going to make it something that I want to eat and that other people will want to eat? And that's kind of where the idea for the book came from. So like you say, we all know about, um, you know, batch cooking and, and meal prep, but I'm I'm the type of person who I, I just, you know, call me bougie, but I just can't have the same dinner 
twice in a week. I just find it really boring. So um, the idea for the book came about when I thought, okay, what can I do with the leftovers that's going to make food that's actually interesting? Um, so, you know, taking something um, like a gyoza or, or a, you know, a, a noodle soup and creating something that's totally new um, but uses... Um, you know, a few ingredients that you might have at home, like dried noodles and um, the gyoza filling, you can turn into um, a prawn toast, which is like the best brunch ever. It's about thinking laterally, isn't it? Which really boosts your cooking skills. I mean, I see it as fast tracking people who come into it thinking I'm time poor and I don't know anything really about cooking. Hang on a second, by following this recipe, oh, I didn't know that I could do that. Um, top chefs will use this way of of lateral thinking to spin an idea into something else and they've been doing that since time began but you don't normally get that with sort of entry level Mm -hmm. cooking Um, were you aware of of, uh, trying to fast track home cooks um I think it it more came from just wanting to you know make a book about delicious food um to make something accessible for everyone. I think what a lot of home cooks um, take from um, like batch cooking and prep cooking is you have to take the end product and and use that. But with weekly provisions, what we, what I've tried to do is say, you know, okay, you've, you've sorted off some onions, you've taken your time to make those really delicious. Now just take a handful of that. That's going to be the base for a really delicious meal. And it's about taking things throughout the process to make food that's going to be really interesting. Mm. But, you know, you're not putting in any extra effort. You're actually you know, saving yourself time the next time you want to make something yeah. delicious. Your second uh, food moment is the Manchego croquettes with quince jam. Again, not something I'm thinking that the entry-level cook will be thinking, oh, I'll have a go at that one. I really hope that people do because they are actually um, really quite simple to make. And um, the reason that you get so much out of it is because you, you're not just making that meal when you batch cook them. You're kind of making the next meal, which is the um the chicken the chicken dish the baked um broccoli chicken bake so then the chicken dish is is one of what you call the remixes which is the kind of the lateral thinking uh take take the main dish and take some leftovers and then spin it into something quite different yeah so you're making the manchego croquettes which you know you do have to put a little bit of time and a bit of love into but as you're making those you're also making the base for um the chicken and broccoli bake for you know the coming days so you're you're really you're double cooking and you're saving yourself time and effort um and making two delicious things instead of one okay so i tried last night um the thai rib of beef oh exciting and then turned it into a peanut and coconut curry and fed my friends out in the garden i have to say it was absolutely delicious mm-hmm. but i i have never cooked like that before so what you're doing is is taking a dish that is packed with flavor the thai the thai beef is is absolutely packed with flavor and the kind of flavors are you know chili and and fish sauce and galangal and and lemongrass and all those sort of very very st- strong flavors um, and then you're you're remixing it again into a more sort of typical sort of masaman curry. That's what it feels like. Um, but again, adding more fish sauce and palm sugar and uh, more chili 
So it's double whammying the flavours. I mean, is this sort of inspired by the Life Kitchen attitude of whack them with flavour? Yeah, absolutely. So I like everything I make to just be like packed with with all those delicious flavours. And I've kind of um, grown up with that. And that's what I seek when I'm cooking. The the Masaman curry, um, the, it's kind of, you know, it's called the peanut and coconut, but it's very much inspired by the Masaman curry. Um, it's a way to use up the leftover ingredients that you have as well. So I find that, you know, often when I'm making things from a cookbook, I'll have bought something for the recipe, like some fish sauce. And then I'll think, well, you know, what am I, what am I going to use now? What am I going to use it for now? Um, so it's about using those ingredients again and being able to get to the end of a bag of lentils or get to the, the end of a bottle of, of fish sauce or, or something like that, you know? I'm going to try it for lunch with halloumi. Oh, um, great yeah, idea. My husband doesn't eat red meat, so he tried it with halloumi. I cooked it with halloumi for him last night, and he said it was amazing. So I've kept some of the sauce, and I'm going to um, slowly simmer some uh, halloumi in it for, for my lunch. That's so a- I'll let you know how that goes. Yes, yeah. please do. Um, your third food moment, Nan's chicken and broccoli bake. Now, this takes you back to where, after your mother had died, uh, you were very young, you, you moved in with your, um, your Nan. Yes. Um, my nan is, um, she does everything with food at the heart of it. So whenever you go over to the house, it's like, you know, straight away, just typical nan style. What have you had to eat today? What's for dinner? Do you want anything? Yes, please. Um, so this was one of the things that she used to make for me and my sister all the time. Um, and when, (laughs) when I told her I was going to, um, include a, a kind of a version of the recipe in my book she started recounting the recipe to me on the phone and I had to explain to her the book's a little bit different I'm going to be using the roux from the manchego croquettes to make the broccoli bake and she was like well it's not my recipe then is it it's, that's not how I make it I was like well no now it's more inspired by um your recipe and she's like oh, okay well it's more your recipe and she's very she, you know she's a very practical woman um <laughs> so she wasn't overly thrilled at my inclusion of her version of the chicken and broccoli bake so this is the remix of the manchego croquettes it is and it's a baked chicken dish um now your nan used to use the campbell's condensed soup um but you're using this roux um what what's the difference so i mean my nan's version is amazing like you know who would have thought what a kind of soup can do for flavor it's really great um but with using the the uh, manchego croquette roux mix you just have a sauce that's super silky it's really rich it feels really decadent but all you're doing essentially is popping in your chicken supremes adding a bit of broccoli and a bit of seasoning and then you've got dinner on the table and you've barely done anything because you've already done the yeah. work with the roux yeah. with the with the croquettes um yeah and it's and it's comforting and it's delicious your fourth food moment, I mean, talk about comforting and delicious. That is your sort of trademark, isn't it? And your fourth food moment, the Peshwari swirls are absolutely those. Um, growing up, getting a Peshwari nan from the local Indian restaurant. Um, yeah, I mean, so many people would know this, but they wouldn't think about taking a Peshwari and turning it into something else. Yeah, so I kind of, um, I love Peshwari naan, it's like one of my favourite foods ever. Um, it was like a real treat to get that when we were younger. Um, so 
when I'm planning a menu or when I'm writing something, this came about when I worked as a chef and I was working in residence somewhere. Um, and I was trying to think like, you know, what are my favorite flavors? If I go out to eat, what is it that I want to eat? Um, and Peshwari Dan is absolutely one of those things. So I thought, how can I take those flavors and make them something that's, you know, a real um, homage to the Peshwari Naan, but that's something that's mine. Um, and that's kind of how Peshwari swirls were born. They were they were originally called Peshwari cigars, um, and I served them with a, a smoky aioli, and I just thought it was the cleverest thing, and it was one of my first ever <laughs> proper chefy things that I um, <laughs> came up with, and I, and I thought it was wonderful. And I do still think it's wonderful. Whenever I serve them, um, one of the things that, the front of house are always like, oh, have you got any, have you got any of those, um, you know, cigar things left? And they always come and steal them from the kitchen for me. So um, I know that they're a crowd pleaser, which is very nice. And, you know, as an egotistical chef, that's what we all want, really, isn't it? <laughs> to be told <laughs> that our food's nice. Interesting that you use a lot of your chef experiences, um, but you don't work in a restaurant now. Um, you just arrived in Brighton. Are you looking around at the local restaurants and thinking, I could start a restaurant here. <laughs> I um, I definitely miss chefing um, full time. I, it's, you know, I never feel more at home than when I'm in the kitchen. Um, but I also really enjoy what I'm doing with Life Kitchen. And, you know, we get to teach people all the time and write wonderful books. And, um, you know, we have amazing opportunities to do lots of things. But we... We did actually buy a food truck for Life Kitchen to teach classes in around the country and we are bringing it to Brighton um, with the intent of, um, you know, cooking live somewhere. So we're just looking Amazing. for a spot at the moment. So I'm just, I'm so excited to get back out there and be cooking for the world again. Yeah. And of course, since um, I talked to Ryan, you know, just over a year ago, of course, COVID has changed everything and a lot of people have lost their taste and smell which is what happens to a lot of people who are going through chemotherapy. So the people who are interested in that whack em around the head flavour that you, you two do uh, has increased massively. Are you targeting those people with your Life Kitchen now? Yeah, so um, as you mentioned, Life Kitchen originally was um, for people who were experiencing taste changes with cancer, but um, once everything came out um, about COVID and the the taste and smell changes that people experience, we kind of thought, well, we have to try and do something. So we um, collaborated with um, a smell charity called Absent and uh, another called Altered Eating to um, learn more about the issue. And we're kind of starting to, to help people. We've just brought out our taste and flavour cookbook, which is um, full of kind of safe foods is what we call it so free of things that are quite triggering to people who have um, porosmia which is what you get when you um, have covid um, taste loss or well not always you can have anosmia or you can just have you know changes to your taste and smell but a lot of the time with long covid it's porosmia so the cookbook is aimed at at that and at, at helping people enjoy food again who are going through those changes and it's free, actually, the free yeah. cookbook, which you can just um, download or um, get a copy of a hardback copy of from the Life Kitchen website. Um, and it's been very well received. We we had kind of 5000 copies two weeks ago and <laughs> now we have about 300, which is incredible. Yeah. What would people experience if they came to your cooking classes? Um, so we teach about the five principles of taste and flavour uh, or our five principles principles of taste and flavour, um, 
we teach people about how to use umami to get more flavor and punch into food. We teach about how to stimulate the trigeminal nerve, which is um, a scary big word, but it's just basically the nerve on your face, which um, helps you to chew and eat and, and helps the olfactory system. And you can stimulate it with flavors like mint and wasabi and horseradish. And we teach people how to do that to get more sensory excitement in their food. Um, and we, we teach lots of kind of little food science bits, but in a way that's fun and we're teaching recipes and it's a really practical kind of day um and we also have um all of our cookery lessons are free for people who are living with cancer um we are trying to do some lessons for people who are living with covid um so you know that you can book them on the website and and just come along to one of them they're online at the moment but we we have great fun still you know it's it's a really great time we do them once a week so come and have a look at our website and and book on nigella is one of the big fans of life kitchen obviously she's had her fair share of uh watching people lose their taste and smell through through cancer um she's been very supportive of what you're doing at life kitchen she's calls this book inspired how does that feel? Yeah, it's amazing. I sometimes have to pinch myself um, and, you know, realize, <laughs> you know, to have Nigella on side and to call your book inspired is um, no small thing. It's really amazing. Um, and I'm just so grateful to Nigella for always holding up, you know, ourselves, Life Kitchen, myself and lots of other people in the industry she's just such an amazing person and she she really does help to give a voice to so many people and i just i find it you know inspiring <laughs> it's it's amazing thanks for listening you can buy all the books featured on cooking the books by clicking on the bookshop tab at jason.com and while you're there do sign up for the newsletter to keep up with all my news including the cooking the books retreats don't forget to rate and review the podcast on apple podcasts and i'll see you next week when i'm talking to raymond blanc about his latest books the lost orchard and simply raymond <laughs>